Okay, do we have noise? Thank you. Thank you. A big, big welcome to everyone that's here today and especially to our visitors who've come to worship with us. Hope you get a wonderful blessing from our service today. I, since tomorrow is Mother's Day, I have a Mother's Day story. It's not very long. 
then I thought it was cute. A woman renewing her driver's license at the county clerk's office was asked by the woman recorder to state her occupation. She hesitated, uncertain how to classify herself. What I mean is, explained the recorder, do you have a job or are you just... Of course I have a job, snapped the woman. I'm a mom. We don't list mom as an occupation, the recorder replied. Housewife. I forgot all about that story until one day I found myself in the same situation at our own town. The clerk was obviously a career woman, poised and efficient. What is your occupation, she probed. What made me say it? I don't know. The word simply popped out. I'm a research associate in the field of child development and human relations. <laughs> the clerk paused, ballpoint pen frozen in midair, and looked up as though she thought she had not heard right. I repeated the title slowly, emphasizing the most significant words. Then I stared with wonder as my pronouncement was written in bold black ink on the official questionnaire. May I ask, said the clerk with new interest, just what do you do in your field? Coolly, without any trace of fluster in my voice, I heard myself reply, I have a continuing program of research, what mother doesn't, in the laboratory and in the field. Normally, I would have said indoors and outdoors. I'm working for my masters. We all have masters we're working for, don't we? I'm working for my masters, first the Lord, and then the whole family. And already have four credits, all daughters. Of course, the job is one of the most demanding in the humanities. Any mother doesn't, doesn't disagree. And I often work 14 hours a day, most likely 24. But the job is more challenging than most run-of-the-mill careers, and the rewards are more of a satisfaction than just money. It was an increasing note of respect in the clerk's voice as she completed the form, stood up, and personally ushered me to the door. As I drove into our driveway, buoyed up by my glamorous new career, I was greeted by my lab assistants, ages 13, 7, and 3. Upstairs, I could hear our new experimental model, a six-month-old baby, in the child development program, testing out a new vocal pattern. I felt I had scored a beat on bureaucracy, and I had gone on the official records as someone more distinguished and indispensable to mankind than just mom. What a glamorous career, especially when there's a title on the door. I just thought that was really cute. We sometimes say, oh, I'm, I'm just a housewife or I just stay at home, but 
That's a very important job. And mothers uh, that are able to stay home, mothers in general have a hard job to do. They, and they do it wonderfully. I hope you have a wonderful Sabbath day and gain a special blessing from our program today. And remember to keep God first in your prayers. Good morning. Good morning. If you look at your bulletin, you'll see the pianist is Jana Quayle, but she got distracted today. She's, um, last night she drove to Spokane. She decided to be up there and skip church today because our youngest, Leanna, has gone into labor. And we'll be, hopefully, anytime now, maybe already done, having our third grandson. First for Leanna, Janetta has two boys and two girls. You know, when I taught my first year of school, now I'm going into the offering call, on my first year of school there was a, I assumed something I shouldn't have assumed. I had worked for the church before as a student and at junior camps, and when I got my pay it was all mine because they withheld tithe for me. In April, when I was doing my taxes, after my first year of teaching, I discovered that I had not paid any tithe for my first year of teaching. Our contract states that I would pay tithe. Um, the problem was doubly bad because I was also engaged to get married in June. So I had to tell Jana, Jana, I haven't paid tithe all year, and I can't pay it all right now. In fact, I had to break my little bottle open to visit her because it was full of pennies and I had to turn all the pennies in to have money to go visit her and I couldn't drive a truck. I had to go on a motorcycle because things were tight. The motorcycle was fun and got good mileage, but it was rainy. It was fun part of the way. So we decided that what we needed to do was start paying double tithe until we got it caught up. And she still married me, and we paid double tithe and found out we could do that. When we got started in our home, Jana would come to me and say, I don't know how we're going to pay all the bills this month. We would go down through it all and work it out. Okay, we got through a month, and we got through another month. And finally, I said, Jana, just figure it out. And so she brought it to me. This is what I got figured out. I said, look, we got to pay them more. Than That's all we got. And finally, I quit arguing with her because she did it like I would have done it. And so Jana took care of our books. And we discovered that if we put, we felt like we were blessed for paying a tithe and an offering all the time. And it's the one place in scripture that God says, try me, play with it. Uh, how does he say it? Um, yeah, test me. Yeah, with tithes and offerings. For our offerings this week, it goes to the local budget. And because I'm a, I think it's because I'm an elder, but for some reason I have to sit on the church board. And, and we saw the church budget, and you don't get to see it all every week. But um, we're not in real good shape. We are quite a ways behind. And a lot of it is because our local church budget 
hasn't been quite large enough for Rhonda to be able to keep things up and get everything paid for that's supposed to be. So I would encourage you to find a way in your planning, your finances, to make sure you're including the church and its work. And it's not really because God needs it, it's because we need it. We need to be part of something, we need to be giving, and we need to discover the joy of giving. Here at this church, we don't collect offering in the little trays anymore. What we do is we have a box up here by this column here, by Ella Wilson, another box right straight under the clock back there. And on your way out, drop your envelope in with your tithes and offerings. And if it gets full and starts running over, just let one of the deacons know, and they'll empty it so we can start over. But let's do remember, in your financial planning, the church, and discover the blessing of giving. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we can give, that we can worship here together, that we have a church, that we can meet friends and share with them our love for you and love for each other. Bless our offerings, bless our tithes, and bless those that receive them, that they can all gain a blessing of knowing you better and sharing for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we call for another offering. Only this time we do collect it. All the children will be collecting an offering for the children's story. And this offering goes to help our Pendleton Christian School. Pendleton Christian School. Sorry, the, when an old brain gets one name in there and you switch, it's kind of hard for the old brain to catch up with it. Harris Junior Academy, Pendleton Christian School, still needing money to keep our kids educated. So, children's story by... Dana Martin and children start gathering up the money and bring it up and put it in our little schoolhouse. Thank you.
right, are you there? All right, or am I there? Do you guys like birds? You like birds? Yeah? We were talking about birds in Sabbath school today, weren't we, kids? I've had these three in Sabbath school today, and we were talking about some of our favorite birds. We, I heard peacocks, and what else did we have? What? Woodpeckers. That's right, woodpeckers. And I like robins, and I think that the doves are pretty funny in the springtime. They act pretty funny in the springtime, I think. But you see lots of birds in the springtime, don't you? And they love it right up. It's been raining a lot, so after it gets done raining, you hear the birds come out, and they're singing, and they're so happy. But have you ever seen, you, you, you see a bird? You've seen one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like birds. Do you like birds? Yes. Have you ever seen a bird in the church? No. I haven't either. Now, I have been to Walmart, and I've seen a bird flying around in Walmart. Have you seen a bird flying around in Walmart before? And I work at Hermiston, I think it's Adventist School. Yeah, it's Hermiston Adventist School. And in January, we had a bird flying around in our gym. But I have never seen a bird flying around in the church. But Jenny was sitting in church one Sabbath, and she was sad. And she couldn't concentrate on the pastor's sermon because she was very sad. Because the day before, or well, actually, she knew that when she went home that day after church, that her dog Buster wasn't going to be there. Because the day before, they had taken Buster to the vet, and the vet had given him some medicine to help him go to sleep. And that made Jenny very sad, and she didn't understand. Why couldn't Jesus just heal Buster? And Mom said, well, Jesus could heal Buster, but Buster was old, and he had lived a good life. And dogs get old, and they have to, they have to die. And everything dies. Flowers die, and cats die, horses die, and even people die. That's right. Everybody dies. And that's the way it's been ever since sin came into the world, right? Things die, and it's sad, and we don't like it. But Jenny's mom said, but it doesn't always have to be that way, right? Because someday Jesus is going to come, and that's right. He's going to raise us up, right? And everybody who has decided to follow Jesus will be saved from sin, right? And they'll rise up with God, that's right. And then we get to go to heaven, right? And there will be no more death, and there will be no, no more sadness, that's right. And no more sin, that's right. And so Jenny was thinking about that, and she thought, well, I'm glad that Jesus is going to save me, and I'm glad he wants to save me, but I just don't really understand that. And she was thinking about all those things that her mom had said, and she wasn't concentrating on the pastor's sermon. And then she looked up, and she saw something up on the ceiling. And it was flying around, and she thought, what is that? And she said, that's a bird. There's a bird in the church. And she watched, and she still wasn't concentrating on the pastor's sermon now because she was watching that bird, and it would fly. And it looked like it was scared. 
It looked like it didn't really want to be in the church. Like it knew it shouldn't be in the church, and it didn't know how to get out. And Jenny was very, very concerned about that bird. And so when the pastor's sermon was done, everybody left, and Jenny didn't want to leave. She told her mom, she says, I don't want to leave. I'm worried about that bird. I, I, I know it's scared, and it, needs, and it needs to get out of the church. And how are we going to get it out of the church? Because you can't. Do you think we have a ladder that could get up there? And even if we did, is it very easy to catch a bird? No, it's not, is it? So how are they going to get that bird out of the church? Well, Jenny's mom told the pastor, and the pastor talked to the head deacon, and they had an idea. With a ladder, you think they could? Well, maybe they, th they thought maybe that would be too hard. So they had this idea. You know what they decided to do? They decided to cover all the windows with, with paper, with dark paper. Maybe they had blinds they could pull down. And they covered all the windows, and they turned off all the lights, and they closed all the doors, and it was really, really dark in the church. And then they opened one door, and the sunlight was coming through the door. And then they sat there, and they sat quietly and waited and waited and waited. And pretty soon, Aunt Jenny saw a shadow fly down into the sunshine and out the door. And the bird was saved. The bird was saved. Why did the bird get saved? Because the bird, it, had, it followed this light. That's right. And then Jenny thought, now I understand what my mom was talking about. She, the bird was lost and scared, and, and it didn't know how to get out. But it followed the light, and then it was saved. And that's the way we are, right? We are living in a world where we are lost, and, and there's sin and sadness, right? But there is a way out, and that's the light of Jesus, right? And if we follow Jesus, the light of this world, we can be saved from all the sin and sadness of this world, and we can go to a place where there will be no more death, and we can live with Jesus forever. Isn't that wonderful? So I want to follow that light. Do you want to follow that light? Yes. Thank you for listening.
Thank you. Amen. Our next song, our last song, is our prayer song, Be the Center. We invite all of you that would like to come up with your prayers, your praises, your requests to come up front, sing this with us, or you're welcome to stay in your seat and, and sing this with us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day today. Thank you that we can come together and praise you in song. Oh, it lifted my heart so high this, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I pray today and I thank you for all of the women here at church today, for all of those who have been mentors and friends, and I thank you for this weekend that we can celebrate the women in our lives, Lord. Thank you so much. I pray that you will be with the pastor today as he speaks to us. Open our hearts, open our minds, and open our wills to what you would have us do, Lord. Thank you for all of these things. In your blessed name, I pray. Amen.
All right, this morning, our scripture today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is my story. 
Good morning. Members are ministers. Members are ministers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to stand here today. Lord, each and every single person listening to the sound of my voice right now is only able to hear, to breathe. Their heart beats in their chest because you are not only creator, but you are savior for us all. You gave your life so that we can live, and here we are today, members of your church. May your Holy Spirit be present. May you speak in this place. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, stand up. You are the risen Savior, and speak this day. By the power of your spirit, may your word come to life in every heart and mind, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see the final words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Matthew. And usually the thing that someone says to you last before leaving is very important, exclamation mark. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 28, the final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, speaking to his disciples, gives a great commission. It's one that we've highlighted often in the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Matthew 24, 14, where he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come as he's speaking about the end times. But here, this is a different moment. This is a private moment. This is a moment where Jesus is standing with those he has chosen to be the ones who will plant his church in a world that is not their home, a world that is, does not want the kingdom of God, and they have shown it clearly by only recently in this narrative, nailing the king of the Jews, the savior of the universe, to a tree. And it would be, it would be probably something we would expect if it were the Romans saying, oh, you're trying to do an uprising and you're trying to be the king of the Jews, so we're going to nail you to a tree. But the puzzling thing is, is it's not the Romans who head the charge for having Jesus crucified, but instead it's the people, his chosen, called out people, the Jews, who take Jesus through the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their legal courts that Rome was allowing them to have to be put on trial for the kingdom of this world, to be condemned for the sins of this world, and to be put to death for you and me. And here he is now, at the end, in the final moment. He's leaving us and going back to his father, and he's speaking to his disciples. And let's see in this private conversation what he says to his disciples. I want to invite you to be a part of this conversation that Jesus had with them in a whole new way today. I want you to see it through a brand new light. You see, I can say out of my mouth, members are ministers, and it's just, what, what does that even mean? To be not only a member of the church, but to also be a minister in a church. What does it mean that each member is a minister? What does that look like? Well, allow me to outline it for you. Today, the service started, and as we heard, Jana Quayle is not here. Thank you so much for being our pianist. Appreciate you. And it's because there is a baby on the way, right? <laughs> hey, what a way to bring in Mother's Day, right? <laughs> the day before Mother's Day, you're joining the ranks. Now, don't forget to take her a gift, Dad. Okay. All right. 
First Mother's Day gift. Uh, here we go. The Lean Praise Group led the worship today. Friends, let me ask you a question. Are not, is not, are not the people who lead the worship music every single week are worship ministers? Okay, so members are ministers. Okay, let's go, let's go. Leonard Quayle gave a moving appeal. Friends, we need the local church budget or we can't operate, right? Hey, elders are ministers. Oh, I appreciate it. The, the children's story. I almost fell off the front of the stage. And by the way, friends, I have a good time collecting dollars. I am glad that some of you tease me about being a little long in the tooth, tall, and uh, lacking probably the amount of hair that most children have. Uh, but you still, nonetheless, uh, you grant me the opportunity to run around like a child and collect the bills. And some of you even go, oh, I, oh I, maybe I should give him a five because, you know, he's old enough now that a dollar. Anyway, <laughs> so thank you for doing that and allowing me to be part of it. Because really, in, in reality, one of my favorite parts of church is the children's story. That is my favorite part. And today, when I heard about the open door, everything in the world is light. No, wait a minute. No, everything in the world is not light. Everything in the world is dark. And then suddenly, there's an open door. And you couldn't have known this, but it fits perfectly with what I'm going to say today. So as this is all happening, I'm watching. Marcy comes up, gives our prayer and our scripture and our special music, and sings this beautiful song. This is my story. Oh, Jesus, your story is my story. I don't got to live that old life anymore, but instead I get to enter into the joy of the Lord. I get to be an ambassador, a representative. I'm already reconciled. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. Man, how do we get to live life when we know that that truth is ours? This is my story. This is my song. Members are ministers. And so as you see in the worship service today, and oh, by the way, as all of you were singing with the worship group and as you were giving your dollars to the children, you were also participating as ministers of the gospel in what you're doing in this place. There is not one person here today who has not been a minister of the gospel of his kingdom. And so we turn to Matthew 28, and I give you front row seats to a conversation that Jesus is having with those he's leaving behind to continue preaching the gospel of his kingdom into the world as a witness to all the nations. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, the disciples, that is, the 11 remaining. At this time, they had not drawn straws and replaced Judas, who betrayed Christ and sadly hung himself. So we have here the 11 remaining that are with Jesus. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Friends, let me ask you a question. What does it mean that all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth for you? As an individual, all authority and power since this statement was made, has Jesus ever relinquished that authority or power to anything or anyone? It's his. But here's what it means to you and me, at least in my thoughts as I was thinking about this passage. 
Jesus, in the moment that he was given all authority and power, laid down his life so that the 11 could have the experience that Jesus deserves. Jesus took the cross so that we can live being his hands and feet, entering into his joy, proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom, which leads to eternal life for all who believe. Friends, Jesus came into the world so that he could save sinners, but he said, oh, you know what? Instead of doing it all myself, how about I invite you to experience what it's like to have the love of my Father poured out through you so that not only will you be sons and daughters, but members of my church can be ministers, enter into my joy, and see what it feels like to have me move in you and through you to proclaim the words of light that bring life to those trapped in darkness. What does it mean to you that Jesus has all power and authority? It means that you serve a Savior that who in the moment that he was given all power and authority chose to lay down his life so that he could sit on the throne to be an intercessor for you and I so that we could experience the love of God in and through us and portrayed and given to the world through our mouths, our hands, our feet, and our actions. Our prayer, our prayer, my prayer, your prayer can be, Lord, put me in the right place at the right time, saying or doing the right thing so that just one more person can know you and be invited to be a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. What does it mean that Jesus has all power and authority for you and me? It means that we serve a king that not only has that power and authority, but has invited us to have that power and authority poured out in our lives. But here we see that it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's interesting that the last thing that Jesus says as he's leaving is, by the way, I'm still with you. You're not alone. I'm with you to the end of the age, all the way up to the, to the toenails of time and into the time of trouble. When things are getting really dark, don't worry. I'm the light. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to live in and through you. I'm going to give you the power and authority that my Father has given me so that even though you're in the darkness, you don't have to be of the darkness, but you can stand as the light. Amen. And all too often, I feel like we come to church And present in the front of our minds is the things of this world, the cares of this world, the problems in this world, the negativity of this world. When what we could have at the forefront of our minds is that each and every single one of you as members of this church are ministers empowered with the authority of God not only to be set free from the slavery to sin that you've been living in, but also to be used by him to be blessed, to bring a blessing to every single last one of his children that are still trapped in the darkness. We have a power of God's love present in our life, and that power of God's love that is present in our life is the very power that when Jesus spoke caused the light to appear in the first place, the land to be separated from the waters. It's the thing that caused every living creature on the face of the earth to exist, including you. That power of love is the thing that created you the first time, and as we will discover as we move through this message, that power of love is the thing that recreates you 
and changes you from being a person living in the flesh on a highway, broad highway, that leads to death and dying to being a person who lives through the power of the Spirit. And not only do we receive life when we allow that authority of Jesus Christ to be revealed in our hearts and minds through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we become ambassadors of that light and life to the world. Friends, not only can you hear the good news, but you can be the good news if you will let the good news live in you. Members are ministers. You're the good news when you let Jesus make you his hands, his feet, and his mouth to people who are perishing. And so in John 20, we see a story, if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, for those of you watching on YouTube or on Facebook, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, I want to take you to a moment that happened before the Great Commission was given, because today I want to highlight the role of women in fulfilling the Gospel Commission. Friends, did you know that I would not be standing here today preaching this sermon if it were not for the role that a very important woman played in my life who allowed herself to be a minister of the gospel to me? And I know you're out there somewhere, Mom, watching, whether you're watching now or you'll be watching with Rebecca and Jason later, so hello, Mom. Yes, I'm talking about you in one of my sermons again, to which you will smile and you might tell me that you're not happy that I keep preaching about you in my sermons, but nonetheless, Mother, I love you, and it's almost Mother's Day, and I have the grandest excuse to talk about you, right? I have to tell you, my favorite, my favorite verse in the entire Bible is Genesis 50, verse 20. My mother used to tell me when I was a little boy, she would say, Stephen, you have a Joseph anointing, and right now you may feel like you're in a deep, dark pit, and there's no light. But one day God's going to pull you out of that pit and place your feet on higher ground and he's going to use you to preach the gospel of the kingdom into all the world as witness to all the nations. Friends, how many of you find yourselves in situations in your life, you hear that great commission, you hear that we're all called to be disciples and you hear that members are ministers and that we can have the authority of Christ poured out in our life. How many of us hear that good news and because of the circumstances that are going on in our world and in our lives and in our family and in all of the other areas that we can see around us, we feel discouraged and we think it's impossible that it could be possibly true that we could be part of it. You see, that was my experience from the age of 12 until 24, until finally God took this Joseph out of a pit and said, hey, I'm inviting you to live in my palace. I'm inviting you to be my ambassador. And it says in Genesis 50, verse 20, what you meant for evil, God allowed to take place in order to create circumstances that would place you in a position to be used by God to bring salvation. To many friends, even the darkness becomes the light to the one that we serve. Even the darkness is illuminated by Jesus Christ. No matter how dark the night, no matter how nefarious or evil the attacks of Satan were against Christ, even dying a death for our sin on the cross, which was actually caused by a broken heart and not by the lashes or the scars and the bruises and the narrow pierces and, his, and the spear pierces in his side, but instead by a broken heart. Even that Savior buried deep in the tomb who faced both death and Hades and the second death for us, even in that place, the light broke through. You can't put Jesus in a room dark enough to keep him down. And because of him, the devil can never cause circumstances in your life that can keep you down either, not even 
the grave. And so I had a mother who kept preaching the gospel to me even when I was homeless on the streets and I was gambling my paychecks and I was smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day and drinking a six-pack to fall asleep every night. Even when everybody else had given up on me and said, there's no hope for you. Mama always believed that one day when Jesus comes, he's going to call my boy's name. Mama, thank you for being a member who's also a minister. Because if not for the fact that my mother took that message seriously and lived it in her life, I would not be standing here today. And in John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, we see a story, and let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 11. John chapter 20, verse 11, for those of you here in person turning your pages and flipping open your iPhones and opening your Bible apps or watching online, John chapter 11, and it says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then this verse, pay attention. Then Jesus said to her, just one word. And I like how it's actually in the Greek, it's in the imperative. Very weird for someone's name to be in the imperative. It would be almost like you might think maybe they shouted at the person, but that's not the case. Jesus looks at her and says one word, Mary. I listen to this conversation and I think about what it's like when I'm focusing on all the problems in my life. <laughs> but Jesus, don't you see the fan? And then, my, and then what's going on with my family and my finances and, and, and didn't you see? And, and, and on the news and, and then, and the, <laughs> but I, I know you say you're alive, Lord, but don't you see the darkness? And he just says one thing. He just says one word. One word turns it all around for Mary. He says her name, Mary. And in that moment, Mary realizes, I'm not talking to a gardener. I'm talking to the Savior of the universe whose nail prints has my name in his hands. He knows my name. He cast out seven demons from me. He broke off the chains of sin from my life. I'm standing here at the tomb looking in because I believed in the message that Jesus shared with me when I sat at his feet. And then she realizes that the gardener is not the gardener. In fact, it's the Savior who went to Calvary's tree for her. Friends, do you realize that Jesus knows your name? Do you realize that when you come to him with all of your problems and you tell him about the things happening in your life and he already knows and he says, Mary. Does it mean anything to us that the Savior of the universe knows your name? 
You know what was meaningful in the ministry that my mom did for me? My mom didn't just know my name, but she knew who I was in the eyes of the Savior, even when the devil was propagating his report about who I am all over the place. <laughs> did you hear about what Stephen did lately? <laughs> did you hear about his last screw-up? My mom never saw that. But instead, my mom's eyes was focused on a Savior who has the power and the authority to set her sin-filled son free. What does it mean that members are ministers? Let's go ahead and take a look at this story in another one of the Gospels. Because the, the Gospel of Mark is very succinct. Okay, so for those of you that just, you want just the facts and you just want your story, this is it, okay? If you're one of those people that says, listen, I just need the details, then Mark tells the story in a much different, very beautiful way, but he includes a detail that is not included in the story in John. It seems like John's got all the details, but in fact, if you want to know one thing about the story that can change your view of this story, You've got to turn to Mark chapter 16 and you've got to see this same exact story recounted very beautifully, very succinctly, starting in verse 9. Mark chapter 16 and verse 9, for those of you following along in your Bibles, and here's what it says. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Can you believe how much of the story is cut out there? When he arose, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Well, we have none of the details of the story there. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. Interesting detail. Jesus comes back from the grave. He has just defeated death, and the first person he appears to is a woman who was demon-possessed before he healed her. Then she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. So here's all of the disciples mourning and weeping. And in comes Mary. And Jesus is alive. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. The first minister of the gospel, an evangelist, of the fact that Jesus is in fact the savior of the universe who has power over the grave, preached her very short sermon, and it was not believed. And then, after that, he appeared in another form, verse 12, to two of them as they walked and went in the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but guess what? They did not believe. You know how long we've been preaching the gospel of the kingdom into all the world as a witness to all the nations? Do you know how many years has gone by now since Mary stooped in and looked into the tomb and became the first evangelist running to the other saying, Jesus is alive. You guys, come and see you got to see, didn't you know, he's not in the grave. I've seen the angels. They told me.
You know what, friends? I think there's a reason why it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came and died and went back to heaven and he still hasn't come back again. It's because members are ministers. There isn't a single person sitting in this church today that stands on ground any lower than me. In fact, if I accept the role as pastor in your life, it means I'm lower than you. It means I have the responsibility to love you even when you're nasty, rude, and speak all manner of evil against me. It means I have the obligation to wash your feet even if you have something to give to me that you haven't forgiven me for. It means that I have the obligation to come and sit in your homes and open the scriptures and encourage you to live lives of prayer, praise, and devotion. It means that as the minister of this church, my job is to equip you to be ministers, to call you to be deacons, to be elders, to be children's Sabbath school leaders, teen and youth leaders. It it means that I got to call you because members are ministers. And I've got to equip you. Because guess what, friends? God doesn't love me any more than he loves any person in this room, and he hasn't given me power and authority on any level any higher than anyone in this room. It's the reason why we're Protestant Christians, because we don't believe that we have a mediator that is a man, but instead we believe we have Jesus, who is a high priest, who is calling each and every single one of us out of darkness. Do you know what I love? You can open the handbook for the elders' handbook of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and guess what you see inside? I'm going to tell you. You won't have to guess. I'm going to let you know. Ooh, it gets exciting. It says, as the original apostles who followed Jesus passed away, the elders stepped up into their leadership roles. Elders, did you know that God has called you to the same role that the apostles who saw Jesus in the flesh had. And he said, I will empower you for that role by my spirit. Don't worry, you're going to know me because I'm going to live in you and I'm going to do things through you. The works that I did, you will do and greater works than these. Elders of the church, stand up because you are ministers. A couple more quick comments. The church the definition for the church is the people who are the called out, the ecclesia in a world which is not our home, to be part of a kingdom that actually exists within the world, surrounded by the kingdom that is not our home. You know what's beautiful about God's kingdom? The kingdom of God is people, and as a result, we become the living stone that can live anywhere in this world. It means the kingdom of God can be present everywhere on planet Earth right in the middle of the, the enemy's kingdom, and it can bring the enemy's kingdom down from the inside. You are the soldiers and the secret agents that God has called to do his work. It's not the minister, the pastor. I'm not the only one that gets to experience this joy. Listen to this. We become God's church by accepting the call of God on our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't become God's church by saying, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna come to church on Sabbath and pay my tithes so that I can earn my way into your love in heaven. I've got news for you. He sent his only begotten son to die for you while you were living in sin and shouting, crucify him. You can't earn his love. He gave it to you when you hated him. He gave it to you when you didn't believe him. He gave it to you when you heard his gospel over and over and over and over and said, that sounds nice, but I think he's still in the tomb. He gave it to you when you were still sinners. He loved you first. He didn't come to get something from you, but to give everything of himself to you. And greater love hath no man than this, except that he would give his life for his friends. Don't you see? 
I don't call you slaves or servants. I call you friends. I call you brothers. I call you sisters. I came to be the only begotten son of God to lay down my life so that all could become sons and daughters of God. I came to gain all authority to share it with you. He's offering you an equal inheritance of eternity, and then he's telling you, you too can offer that equal inheritance of eternity to every single person you tell about me. Oh, don't worry, they're going to believe. I'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit so that they do. Okay, a couple more. Likewise, because every single person who comes into the church to be a member comes from the kingdom out there, enslaved to sin, we should expect to see church members in our church at every single stage of their spiritual development, friends. Quit expecting people who just walked through the door to be like you if you've been here for 20 years. And if you're the older brother, for God's sake, quit complaining to the Father in heaven about the younger one who isn't where you're at in your spiritual walk. Stop pointing fingers at others and start looking to a Savior who forgave you of a debt you could never pay. And stop demanding that other people pay for debts that they committed to you years ago. You know what the Lord says? He says, if you want to come into my house and worship me, leave the thing that you're holding against your brother. Leave your sacrifice. Leave your tithe. Leave the money you're giving to the church budget. Don't pay that yet. Go make it right with your brother and sister who you're angry with, and then come pay your tithe. Go make it right with your brother and sister who you don't like anymore because of something that happened 20 years ago, and then come and worship me in your house. I'm sorry, guys. You know what? We've been here for too long. And I'm not talking about church this morning. I'm talking about in this world. I got a phone call yesterday that a friend of mine has four blood clots. One of the closest people in my life that was there for me in one of the darkest parts of my life is right now laying in the hospital room. And the doctor is saying, we can't get the clots to go away. We don't know what we're going to do. He might die this morning while I'm talking to you. Friends, time is running out. This isn't a game. I don't preach to you on Sabbath morning because I like to listen to myself talk. I preach to you because you are the members of God's church and you are his ministers. It's far too long that we've been sleeping and slumbering in a world that is not our home. And it's been far too long since we've actually ran and shouted from the hilltop right here where we have this beautiful piece of property and church that's meant to be a light to this town. It's been far too long since we actually believed the gospel in a way where we can go out like Mary and say, he is risen, he's alive, and it means something for you. Every church member, page 19, every church member is to be a minister. Oh, see, I didn't make it up. Every member, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the people who have official roles, not just the people that the board voted have made it to a place in their spiritual walk where they're called to be leaders in the church, but every person who's given their life to Christ is a minister of the gospel. And here we go. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, friends. Do you know what it means? If you're a son or a daughter of the living God, it means that you now are a part of the family and he has called you and invited you to be a part of inviting others to join the family too. You can do the thing that Jesus did in greater things than this if you will believe. And instead of believing, we point out each other's faults. We fight with each other. 
There should be mutual respect in Christ's church among every different race, tribe, crest, or gender, because in God's church there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Friends, quit looking at how your neighbor sins differently than you and start focusing on Jesus, and you might just be used by God to love them in a way that causes them to want to be a part of his kingdom. Because if the kingdom that we have here on earth isn't loving, it's not God's kingdom, and it's not God's house. It's a form of godliness, lacking and denying the power of God, which just causes people to want to come to Jesus in the first place. I've got news for you. Your pastor standing here today did not qualify to be your pastor when God called me. I smelled like booze and cigarettes. I was a total mess addicted to everything. My whole life was in shambles. I had four teeth pulled out of my head because I couldn't afford a dentist. I didn't have a middle-class job or insurance. I've got news for you. I only got to go through school because somebody else paid. So if you want to be a part of a church where we all have to pay our way to God's love in order to be saved, then count me out because I don't belong. Okay. Did you know that in the Seventh-day Adventist Church across North America Division, that on any given Sabbath day, 70% of the people in attendance are going to be women. Did you know that a majority of the people that serve on our board and work with me in ministry are women? Did you know that the only person on planet Earth that did not give up on me that believed that I could be a minister of the gospel was a woman? Did you know that the first person that preached the gospel and believed it because they were actually listening to Jesus rather than fighting over who was the greatest was a woman? Did you know that if not for the women supporting financially the church in the early New Testament church with their money because all of the men were busy preaching the gospel, if they would not have financially supported the church, that the church would not exist today? Did you know that women were the ones that financed the church? I could have called the sermon... Moms are ministers. Women are ministers. And at this time, I would like to call the young people in this church to come forward because Sandra and I, or Sandra and uh, several of her assistants, not me, I wasn't there, I saw the picture, has put together something wonderful for every single woman in this church because every single woman in this church plays the role of mother to the people in this church. Every single woman in this church that shows up that's a part of our children's Sabbath school that gives their tithes, their offerings, and their times to the ministries of this church, to our adventure and our Pathfinder clubs and our Sabbath school rooms on every division at every level in our schools. Let's hear it for the moms and the women here today. Please. And I'd like the young people to come forward because at this time I would like every woman in this church to stand and we are going to bring you a bag. And when you receive your bag, you can sit, but please stand. Please stand, I'm begging you. We have a special gift for each and every single one of you with beautiful, real, living flower inside. We hope that we have enough. And I was thinking to myself, 70% of the church is going to be women, so I'm worried we might not have enough. <laughs> and I would like to help pass them out too. Because I'm one of the kids.
Okay, I'm going to start at the very, very, I'm going to come to the back. <laughs> we'll work our way forward. And once you receive one, please be seated so that we don't get confused. Or unless you want to, I mean, you know, right. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for being a part of our church. Thank you for your ministry in our church. Thank you for your ministry in our church. I'm going to go all the way over here. We don't want to miss anybody. Thank you for your ministry in our church. Members are ministers. Thank you for being one of the ministers in our church. Oh, look at that. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Everybody, can you help me give a round of applause to all the ladies in this church, please? Please. I want to close with this today. I want to close with this today. Acts 1 verse 8 says that when the Holy Spirit of God came upon the disciples, that they preached the gospel of the kingdom into all the world as a witness to all the nations. Friends, members are ministers. Moms are ministers. Men and women, fathers, old, young, if you're a member of this church, you're a minister. And as your pastor, I want to ask that God will help me to equip you with the tools to have a relationship with Jesus through prayer, praise, and devotion so that you too can join me in reaching one more each day for Jesus. And let's hear it for these young people too who are also ministers. That's right. Look at them helping with church. Look at that. Everybody was a part of church today. Hey, friends. If we will pray together for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then God's going to put us in the right place at the right time, saying and doing the thing that's going to cause his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I'm a part of a very exciting church right here in Pendleton and Pilot Rock. And the members here are ministers. The women and the mothers here are ministers. We are working hand in hand in God today. We are asking you for the fruit of the Spirit. We are asking you for the gifts of the Spirit because we want to be used by you to take the gospel of the kingdom into all the world as a witness to all the nations because we, like Mary, we believe that you rose again and that all who hear you call their name when you come on that glorious day who have put their faith in you will rise from the grave again. God, help us to proclaim the name of Jesus with power, with authority, and help us to preach the gospel with miracles. Attending is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a wonderful Sabbath. God bless you.